You are now tuning into the extrapyramidal effect, leading the expression of voluntary and involuntary thoughts and engagement surrounding the current affairs and future advancement in the pharmaceutical care industry. The views, considerations and opinions expressed on the show do not represent any statutory body or employer. Hello, 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 farmer family. Bringing you yet another episode of the Extra Pyramidal Effect. Last week, we spoke about the morning after pill and emergency contraceptives. Today, you're going to learn today. You're going to learn today. <laughs> Growing up, I always used to watch um, Kevin Hart and uh, make that reference to his dad who would inappropriately say that at some of his concerts as a child and he'd feel embarrassed. But in today's context, we're speaking about a topical subject, one that I hope that you guys will sincerely enjoy and definitely learn a lot from. We're talking about pre-exposure prophylaxis. Here's what I found coincidental when I was selecting a title for today's episode. The first four letters for the word prepared are also the very same letters that we use for the acronym PREP to reference pre-exposure prophylaxis. This led me to ask this question, are we actually prepared to live in a generation where PREP is used safely and effectively? So when we look at the South African context, South Africa has the highest HIV epidemic in the world. Recent data shows that approximately 7.7 million people have a known status of infection. While on the other hand, global health goals want to achieve 95% of the world population to know their status and to also be on HIV therapy. So what is pre-exposure prophylaxis? There's a lot of terms going around, I know, I know, but here's what we can all sum it down to. It's the administration of a pharmaceutical agent prior to exposure to HIV in order to prevent the outcomes, which is acquiring an HIV infection. This all started in 2015 when the World Health Organization made a recommendation for the provision of pre-exposure prophylaxis to all individuals at a substantial risk of acquiring HIV. This was all with the aim of increasing the simplicity and the integration of the service with the existing healthcare framework. So, how do we categorize individuals who are at this high risk? It is said that pre-exposure prophylaxis is appropriate for any individual that identifies themselves as cisgender, transgender, or gender diverse. This also includes subcategories that are at high risk of getting HIV, such as your teenage girls, men who have sex with men, and the rest of the population, whether you self-identify yourself to be at a risk or not. While we're in this process of introducing PrEP to the population, are we waiting for the robots to turn green before we can actually cross the road? 
Or are we seeing an increase in the use of prayer in order for us to all live freely? I know you guys are itching to hear more about this topic. So was I a couple of years ago. Let's jump straight into it. In South Africa, over 530,000 people are currently getting PrEP. And yes, this is an astonishing figure. You're probably thinking, how, for the who, when, what? <laughs> yes, so PrEP is available in three dosage forms. The vaginal ring, the oral pill, which is the most common, and the newly discovered long-acting injectable. This excites me because this agent which contains carbotegravir, helps to prevent HIV replicating in the body, just like all the other agents. But what's more interesting about this agent is that it is long-acting, meaning it helps to improve adherence. You first get two doses of monthly injections, and then you'll continue to get these injections every two to three months. In addition to this, it's shown to have higher efficacy compared to the oral tablets. So great stuff. How can we get it? When are we getting it? Well, it's still in the clinical trial process, but the rollout is sure to come soon. But another note to this, parallel to us getting the PrEP, we also have to still upscale the use of other therapies, information, and other methods such as the condoms. So while we're talking about the injection, you guys may know by now that I'm very passionate about accessibility. Will this be accessible to the people who need it the most? And that is jeopardized by the fact that cost has a huge part to play with the PrEP injection as well as the oral tablets. The manufacturer, which is a company based in the United States, has estimated that approximately one jab will cost 54000 but after this, there's been many bids to try to bring that price down to approximately 38 rand. And currently, estimates show that it will cost around 90 rand to get this injection. So yes, additional costs will have an effect. But we're hoping that the most vulnerable populations that are listed earlier will be the ones that are at the front line in order to get this injection. Further to this, there's a technical side to the procurement, dispensing, and administration of pre-exposure prophylaxis drugs, just like any other pharmaceutical agent, and no single individual is impervious of this process. This is a multifaceted approach, which includes screening, testing, and counseling of the individuals, including the eligibility criteria, which, for example, states that only individuals that have a weight of 35 kgs and above can get pre-exposure prophylaxis. When you talk about testing, there needs to be a confirmed HIV test that shows that you are negative as an individual. We also have to screen an individual's kidney function to ensure that there's no damage that can occur. And of course, we understand that any pharmaceutical agent will have side effects. These usually occur in the first month of treatment, which is a good thing. And common side effects include a rash, Myalgia, which is just general body pains, muscle pain, headaches, fever, fatigue, and even some diarrhea in some cases. But all of these are minor side effects that can be resolved immediately. So 
In addition to this framework, we have to look at the area, your biological factors, as well as your behavioral aspects. For example, have you had previous STIs or current STIs? How often do you have unprotected sex? Have you self-identified yourself to have HIV risk? Is it because you have multiple sexual partners who perhaps also have an unknown status? These are all the questions that we ask prior to you or in any individual enrolling in using PrEP. So when we talk a bit more about the pharmacological profile and the administration of PrEP, it's a tablet that you take once a day and you should take it for at least seven full days prior to you being exposed for full protection. It's also not stopped abruptly. So when you decide to wind yourself off PrEP, you need to be on it for at least seven days after the last exposure. So I want to have you guys thinking in a certain pattern after this. I want you guys asking these questions. If someone approaches me about what's my vibe or what's my status, I need to look at that person in the eye and say, my status is I'm HIV negative and I'm protecting myself through good behavior. Here's my take on the overall reflection for pre-exposure prophylaxis in South Africa. It is inevitable that there will be an increase in the uptake of pre-exposure prophylaxis, including the injection and the oral tablet. As a healthcare professional, there's an increasing demand for the provision of information that's reliable, and that begins with us as healthcare professionals and the public seeking this information. Government needs to invest more in research and development to ensure that these products are available to the most vulnerable population at a cost-effective price. We are leading this conversation in order to break the cycle of transmission of HIV. We really don't want to find ourselves in a similar situation where we're facing a stage six. In order for me to paint a clearer picture of this topic, I'd like to make reference to yet another popular theory, the theory of the hierarchy of hazard control. We'll be hypothetical here and we'll assume that the human immunodeficiency virus, HIV, is a hazard, for which it is. And in order for us to control this hazard, we need to apply different types of strategies. At the top of this pyramid sits elimination. Can we eliminate the virus? <laughs> Absolutely not. That would have been the most effective strategy. And second to this, we have substitution which means we replace the virus. Wouldn't it be great if we could go into the lab, take all the HIV virus that's around the world and just make a miniature version of it that's less harmful? Again, that's a bit implausible. Thirdly, we have engineering controls. This means applying modification principles to try and prevent barriers, to create barriers rather, that will prevent the transmission of HIV or control it as a hazard. Again, not the most effective strategy. But as we move further down, and this may seem like the least effective strategy, but probably the most relevant, it's administrative tools. And that includes the accessibility of PrEP, ensuring that people have the right information in terms of adherence, and also modifying their sexual behavior. And then lastly, it's PPE, which is the personal protective gear.
or equipment. And that speaks to using contraceptives such as the male condom or the female condom in order for us to prevent the transmission of HIV. After all has been said and done, can we look back and say we were prepared for this PrEP generation? In closing, when Robert Walsh, a very famous English designer and silversmith, said that the real freedom of any individual can always be measured by the amount of responsibility which he must assume for his own welfare and security. Farmer family, thank you so much once again for tuning in to the Extra Pyramidal Effect. I'd like to hear more from you guys. Please rate the show, follow the podcast series, and share it to all your platforms. I hope you guys thoroughly enjoyed it because, wow, I definitely did. Stay tuned for next week when I wrap up this podcast series. We're talking about off-label medicines. Should we be using antihistamines that cause sedation in order for us to treat our insomnia and to fall asleep? We'll answer those next week. Take care.